Hi, my name is Tony Thaxton. Like anyone else, I love a great album. But I also love those strange albums that might make you wonder how and why they even exist. But I'm not here to make fun of them. I'm here to celebrate them and tell their story. This is Bizarre Albums. Today's episode, Patrick Gleason's Star Wars from 1977. Wow. We are in here trying to engage ourselves in a discussion and civil debate. What they are doing is behind our back. They are disregarding disregarding the objective of this convocation by uh, continuing classes. They are seeking to uh, maintain order and keep injustice at the same time. That's from KQED news coverage from the fall of 1968, when the Black Student Union at San Francisco State College presented a list of 10 non-negotiable demands that focused on the creation of a Black Studies Department and increasing black access to the university. SF State's administration did not grant the demands. So the BSU, along with other organizations, formed the Third World Liberation Front and launched what would be the longest campus strike in the history of the United States. Over 150 arrests were made. But it wasn't just students who were arrested. Patrick Gleason, a young English professor at SF State, had been feeling he wasn't fitting in at his job. He participated in the Third World Liberation Front and was arrested. The school then gave Gleason an ultimatum, and he walked away from his job mid-semester. One night around this same time, Gleason had a revelation. Here he is talking about that moment on Insights in Sound. I'm listening to Bartok's first violin concerto, and I dropped a half a tab of acid. That'll change things. And I'm listening to this, I'm thinking... My God, this is what I want to do. I, I don't want to teach. I want to, I want to make music like this, you know. <laughs> Gleason started to get very into synthesizers. He'd taken piano lessons when he was young, and he was very interested in jazz. But his parents felt that him pursuing music as a career was too risky. They had dreams of him being a doctor. Devastated by his parents not supporting his love of music, he stopped playing for 15 years. But after leaving his teaching job, his father was disappointed in him, but agreed to lend him $20,000 to buy a Moog 3 synthesizer. Just a few months later, he was making a living in music, making music for amateur films, local commercials, and even overdubbing synth tracks for several San Francisco rock bands. When the 1970s hit, Gleason was working regularly with a fellow synthesizer enthusiast in the area named John Vieira. The two bought a warehouse space together, and in time, the space would become known as the Really Different Fur Trading Company, eventually shortened to Different Fur Studios. In 1971, Gleason was hired to set up some synth patches for Herbie Hancock's new album, crossings. He assumed that he would just set it up and Hancock would play. But after Hancock heard what he could do, he let him play the parts himself and appear on the record. This would lead to Gleason playing on the next couple of Herbie Hancock albums. In addition, 
he would be both playing and producing records for other artists as well. And by 1976, Gleason even found himself signing to Mercury Records and released his first solo album, Beyond the Sun, an electronic portrait of Holst's The Planets. He was even nominated for a Grammy, but did not win. Gleason had an interest in composing for film. As I mentioned earlier, he'd done some music for a few amateur films, but he had yet to do music for any major studio films. One of Gleason's favorite directors was a fellow San Franciscan, George Lucas. By this point, Lucas had two full-length films he'd directed, 1971's THX 1138 and 1973's Academy Award-nominated American Graffiti. And sometime around 1975, Gleason heard rumor of George Lucas directing a new science fiction film called Star Wars, and he felt that if anyone in the world should be making the music for the film, it should be him. Obviously, it didn't quite work out that way. Lucas wanted a more traditional score, and off of a recommendation from his friend Steven Spielberg, Lucas hired John Williams. See, Star Wars was meant to be a simple hero's journey, a fantasy for young people. And then John wrote the music, and he raised it to a level of art, popular art that would stand the test of time. What I'm trying to say is, you made my life so easy. <laughs> I had so many ideas for other movies, but I never got to them because you ensured that Star Wars would endure forever. That's George Lucas at the 44th Life Achievement Award Gala tribute to John Williams. After Gleason saw Star Wars and loved it, he still felt like there was another possible approach to the film's music, one that involved synthesizers. He got together with two friends, Andy Norell and Charles Mims. They were both arrangers. They discussed not making a new score to Star Wars, but rearranging the John Williams score. They wanted to take a completely different approach using synthesizer techniques that Gleason had used on other albums. So they did. And in August of 1977, Patrick Gleason's Star Wars was released on Mercury Records. The album begins, of course, with the Star Wars theme, here also given the parentheses Luke's theme in the title. The original John Williams version, recorded by the London Symphony Orchestra, actually became a hit in the United States, peaking at number 10 on the Billboard Hot 100. A disco version by Miko actually went to number 1. I covered that Miko Star Wars album on the show back in 2019, so if you want to hear the whole story on that, go back and listen to the Miko Star Wars and Other Galactic Funk episode. Patrick Gleason's version of the theme was also released as a single in the US and France, but it failed to chart. <laughs> Thank you. 
In the album's liner notes, Gleason writes, Even though the pieces had been rescored from scratch before I began, I used the scores more as the basic structural outlines than as detailed orchestrations, so that the result is kind of a more controlled improvisation on the scores than a reproduction of them. This approach is used for the next track, The Tatooine Desert. Most of the titles here on this album are slightly different than the titles from the actual film soundtrack. There, this track was called The Desert and the Robot Auction. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. There are a few notable musicians on this album. There's four different drummers appearing on just seven tracks. Both Harvey Mason and James Levi are known for their work drumming for Herbie Hancock. Drummer Ronnie Beck was at one point the drummer for Tower of Power, and modern drummer and classic drummer Hall of Famer Billy Cobham, best known for his work with Miles Davis, is also here. Current Saturday Night Live band leader Lenny Pickett is also on the album, but not playing his usual saxophone, Keeping with the electronic theme, he plays the Lyricon. The Lyricon is an electronic wind instrument. It was the first wind controller, sometimes referred to as the wind synthesizer, to ever be made. According to Wikipedia, the Lyricon was available in two designs, the first being somewhat silver and resembling a soprano saxophone, and the latter black and resembling an alto clarinet. One of the most iconic movie scenes of all time is the Mos Eisley Cantina in Star Wars. It's impossible to think of it without thinking of the music. It's one of the few times in any Star Wars movie where we hear diegetic music, meaning it's music intended for the film's characters to be hearing as well. Though not mentioned in the film, 
in-universe, the song was called Mad About Me. Because of being in-universe, it's much different than John Williams' music for the rest of the film. This one even uses synthesizer, so it's perhaps the closest thing to what Gleason would have wanted to do if he had been the one doing the music. So here's Gleason's Star Wars Cantina music. This kicks off side B of the album. It was also the B-side to the Star Wars-themed single that was released from this album. There are also some vocals on this album performed by Sarah Baker. She only has one other credit to her name, appearing on a compilation album called Hot Ribs. That was released in 1980 on Rib Records, a record label who, to the best of my knowledge, has ever only released two other albums, both by a band called Barbecue Bob and The Spare Ribs. Anyway, you can hear some of Sarah Baker's vocals on Princess Leia's theme. Also, some synthesized vocals, which can be heard on the next track, Droids. In the liner notes, Gleason writes, The vocal synthesis used in this album is based on research done by one of Tom Oberheim's engineers and an engineer friend of his. Their company, called CompuTalker, now markets a voice card, which is designed to be interfaced with home computers. The specific realization for this album was accomplished by means of a Z80 microprocessor, which was installed in a souped-up Soul computer by Mark Garretts, who also did the programming. The album closes with Ben Kenobi's theme. You hear some real, not synthesized strings, played by actual humans, though they are not credited. Though here this is called Ben Kenobi's theme, it's come to be known as the Force theme, though it's not what it was even called on the original soundtrack either.
This album had a remarkably fast turnaround. It was recorded in July of 1977 and released in August of 1977. It got pressings in the US, the UK, Australia, and France. It's currently streaming on Spotify. Though Gleason didn't get to score Star Wars, he did end up doing some synthesizer work for Francis Ford Coppola's Apocalypse Now in 1979. And when Star Wars came to television in the mid-1980s via the animated show Ewoks, Gleason finally got to officially compose for Star Wars. Though he did the score for Season 2 and did not do the theme song, that was written and performed by Taj Mahal and Inshira Mahal. We are the and it's not just Patrick Gleason and Miko that were inspired to release Star Wars albums in 1977. There was also an entire album of Star Wars-themed songs called Living in These Star Wars, that's Star Wars with a Z, by the way, by the Rebel Force Band. But that is for another time. Thank you for listening to Bizarre Albums. If you like the show, please subscribe and leave a review. It helps people find the show. You can also follow the show on Twitter and Instagram at Bizarre Albums, and I'm at Tony Faxton. You can also like Bizarre Albums on Facebook and visit BizarreAlbums.com. And if you still want more Bizarre Albums in your life, sign up for weekly bonus episodes of Bizarre Singles and more at Patreon.com slash Bizarre Albums. And as always, if you know of a Bizarre Album you'd like to hear featured, please tweet the show. I'd love to hear from you. You can even email me at bizarrealbums at gmail.com. My name is Tony Thaxton, and I'll see you next time on Bizarre Albums. Bizarre Albums.